0: Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia and the internet, uh, broadcasting live, Facebook Live, facebook.com slash EW Erickson, in addition to everything else on your local radio station. Uh, all over the state of Georgia now. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, well, the call screener has taken his child to daycare, so the phone lines aren't open yet. When they are open, it'll be 877-97-ERIC. That's eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five. 973 7425 Now we must get into, well, how I became the news this morning. I didn't mean to become the news this morning, and man, people are really sensitive to the obvious being pointed out. Uh, people are really, really upset with me for saying this whistleblower complaint is coordinated. Now, before we go there, I I, I need to further dispel a, an urban legend that has cropped up on the Internet. You know, there are a lot of people saying that uh, the proof of coordination is that the whistleblower filled out a form that had been changed to allow secondhand information Uh, When previously no secondhand information was allowed on this uh, urgent uh, disclosure of urgent concern. Well, it turns out, in fact, I misstated yesterday um, that it was urgent concern required firsthand and otherwise it did not. Um, and I misstated that from stuff I read. Well, the inspector general has come out and clarified And By the way, you should understand that that whether it's Congressman Doug Collins from here in Georgia or, or other Republican congressmen, they have immense respect for this inspector general who was handpicked by Donald Trump to be the inspector general for the intelligence community in large part because the guy is very interested in and pays attention to the intelligence community abusing their authority. So we have an inspector general who the Republicans think quite highly of and a director of national intelligence who the Republicans think quite highly of, and they're all pushing back on this. In fact, let me read you what the inspector general says. The disclosure of urgent concern form, the complaint it submitted on August 12th, 2019, is the same form the inspector general has had in place since May 24th, 2018, which went into effect before inspector general Atkinson entered on duty as the inspector general of the intelligence community on May 29th, 2018, following his swearing as the inspector general on May 17th, 2018. That's really relevant because the president is pushing out to, and it's actually some friends of mine who have been pushing this, and and I think very highly of them. I like them very much, but I think they're wrong on this. The, the, The theory is that the whistleblower only had secondhand information, and that when you filed a, a, a disclosure of urgent concern form, it required firsthand information, not secondhand information. Firsthand information, you will recall, is information where you yourself have, have knowledge of it. You experienced it yourself. Secondhand information is other people told you what happened. And the whistleblower makes very clear that there's a lot of secondhand information And the the theory that was developed is that the secondhand information um, that the forum was changed for the whistleblower to be able to file this disclosure of urgent information with secondhand information, not firsthand information, and that the forum was changed uh, in August of 2019 to allow him to do this. The president has tweeted this out. Uh, people on the right have done this. A lot of conservatives have pushed this story uh, to suggest some elaborate conspiracy with the whistleblower. And it turns out it's it's simply not true. The form was prepared, uh, had been in place since May of 2018. And the whistleblower filled this form out. Now, the inspector general also says that the whistleblower did have firsthand information as well. There was a lot of secondhand information, but the whistleblower also had firsthand information. Now, I I went back and looked at the whistleblower form, and there are some redacted portions of it. And I'm wondering if that is where the whistleblower had firsthand information, because the overwhelming majority of the report uh, is uh, multiple officials told me, one official told me, multiple officials told me, multiple officials told me. So I'm wondering if the firsthand information might be the redacted portion of it. I didn't. I mean, I I, I re-skimmed it. I, I don't recall any firsthand information. From the whistleblower in his complaint. So maybe that's the redacted stuff. But, but, but. This idea that the form was changed. Is not true. All of that being said. I've caused a, a hullabaloo this morning. And I did not mean to. Little old me. Sitting in my at my desk in Macon, Georgia. Got everybody up to date. Uh, and, and worried. Y'all. Can we just admit there's coordination? There's absolute coordination. We, we don't have to construct a conspiracy about the form being changed to acknowledge there's coordination. Now, I, I want to step back to a different matter. And you have to be careful how you do this because there's some sensitivity involved, and I get that. There is some sensitivity. In Benghazi, after what happened with Benghazi, Let's not say I'm trying to equate the two people died there. They're not dying here. But in Benghazi, as the whistleblowers wanted to get their story out, they began meeting privately with Republican members of Congress, including Devin Nunes. Which, interestingly enough, it really highlights. I've played this audio before. Let me play it again. This is Devin Nunes talking to Admiral McGuire, the director of national intelligence trying to figure out who leaked.
1: So what I'm trying to, to
0: ascertain is how would it run in all the mainstream media outlets? How did they get – even though they got a lot of it wrong, but they had the basics of it that it involved the, the president of the United States talking to a foreign leader. So did anybody – you or anybody in your office – leak this to the Washington Post or NBC News?
2: Ranking member, I lead the intelligence community. We know how to keep a secret. Uh, as far as how that got into the press, I really do not know, sir. I just know that it's all over the place. And as you said, it's been reported by different, uh, uh, media for the past several weeks where they get their information from. I don't know.
0: So that's Devin Nunes trying to figure out where the leaks came from. Devin Nunes would know something about this because Devin Nunes helped the whistleblowers from Benghazi get their story into the media and before Congress. It's, that's just, that's fact. I happen to know some of what went on behind the scenes there. And I know that the whistleblowers were very smart people. They wanted to make sure that their story got out. They believed there was a wrong and they knew that, uh, the Obama administration and parts of the media would try to quash their story. And so they turned to, to friendly years in Congress who they gave their story to, and, and they helped roll it out. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. Let's just be clear here. There's nothing wrong with coordinating to make sure your story gets out, particularly if you think that an administration is going to be out to get you. In the whistleblower case in Benghazi, obviously uh, there had been massive failures by the Obama administration. Those massive failures involved Hillary Clinton. Those massive failures involved a president who was more focused on campaigning than he should have paid attention to. On, on September 11th of all things, something happening in Benghazi. And the media, obviously, was totally in the tank for the Obama administration. So, of course, they went and they found people who could help them. They weren't experienced in the ways of of the Washington Press Corps and Congress, so they, they found people who could help them get their story out. Well, I think the same holds true here. Just look at what we have here. We have a whistleblower complaint that is filed August 12th. It should, under the deadline, be released to Congress by September 1st as an urgent matter. And it's not. The inspector general instead chooses to send it to the Justice Department for further review, thinking there may be a campaign finance violation. The Justice Department rules that there really is nothing there there, and that this is a policy dispute with the president. It, it's, it's not a massive breach of national security or anything else. What happens? What happens? We suddenly start hearing stories in the media about a week ago That the president is accused of having an inappropriate conversation with the president of Ukraine. And that President Trump asked the president of Ukraine to help him get Joe Biden. And the story builds in the media over two days. Then we have the story, there's a whistleblower complaint. And everybody in the media says, we don't know, we, we, we don't know that the whistleblower complaint is tied to this phone call. Wink, wink, nod, nod. But we need to see what this is all about. There's a there, there, there's a whistleblower complaint, there's a whistleblower complaint. We don't know that it's tied to what we've told you about, but we think it is. Hmm. And so the president releases the transcript and says, see, there's, there's nothing here. He says, "Oh, this is related to the whistleblower complaint, and this is really bad. Look, look, here's the wh- here comes the whistleblower, and the whistleblower complaint comes out. And then what happens? The media immediately seizes on one paragraph. Oh, look, they've been put. They put this in a secret server. I wonder if they put any other transcripts in a secret server. And then 24 hours later, hey." There's a phone call with with Mohammed bin bin Saud, or what's his name? MBS, the, the Saudi crown prince. They put that in there. And then the next day, hey, there's one from Vladimir Putin. It's in there too. Hey, hey, look, all these things start leaking out. And now we've got the Australia one. It's come out too. Drip, 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 drip. Wonder what else is going to come out. Y'all... I've been around the block enough to know there's coordination. You you don't have to be an expert to see. We have the media start buzzing about something happened with the president of Ukraine. It's the same national security reporters that have been pushing out all of the stories about the Trump administration from, from insider sources. Then suddenly we hear rumors of a whistleblower report that is tied to this wink, wink, nod, nod. We don't really know, but that's what we're being told. Well, who's telling you? And then we get the whistleblower report and every single member of the media immediately seizes on one paragraph that oh, there's a server where they're putting other transcripts too. what else is in there. And then suddenly there's one with a Saudi crown Prince, Oh, Khashoggi, Khashoggi, Khashoggi. And then suddenly there's one with Vladimir Putin. Oh, Vladimir Putin has a transcript in there. And then suddenly there's one with Australia. Uh, let's leak that. Y'all, this is coordinated. Now, I, I want to be real clear here. This is very important. The Republicans have done this level of coordination, too, and there's nothing wrong with it. If you want to navigate through Washington, you coordinate. You can say they're out to get the president. Yes, they're out to get the president. How do, how do you not think they're not out to get the president? They've been out to get the president since before he was elected. Of course the Democrats are out to get the president. Members of the intelligence community, we, we saw Strzok, we saw, what, Lisa Page, we saw um, uh, James Comey, um, we, we've seen Andrew McCabe, we've seen all these people. Yes, these, these people are hostile to the president. Yes, there are elements there. There's not some sort of grand conspiracy. There are a few people in there who they found out about the whistleblower. The whistleblower happens to hire a lawyer who is connected to to Chuck Schumer and Hillary Clinton. Of course this is coordinated. Of course the Democrats have been out to get the president. I mean, let, let, let's all be adults here and just admit this has been going on for a while, and they finally got something. And see, that's the point here. All these people scream at me, oh, you're, you're, undermining, you're undermining this. You're undermining this. Why are you running with Republican spin? It's just the truth. The truth is not spin. Here's the other co- side of the coin of truth. They may get the president. Just because they coordinated a rollout doesn't mean there's no there there. In fact, the fact that, that intelligence agents are risking their career to do this, suggest they think there is a there there, which suggests there's going to be more that comes out. Remember, the intelligence agent who did, was the whistleblower made sure in every paragraph to say, he had multiple sources for this, one source for this, multiple sources for this, multiple sources for this, one source for that, suggestion of certain documents that, that he has seen. He's got the discovery path prepared for the Democrats. He took the time to prepare the discovery. And again, the president's call came the the end of July. The whistleblower complaint was filed August 12th. There was a massive effort to get that whistleblower complaint as detailed as it was in that short a time. Yes, there's coordination. I don't know why the Democrats are mad at me for pointing out it's obvious that this has been a coordinated rollout with Democrats leading up to impeachment. It is obvious. I mean, don't believe your lying eyes, I guess. But for Republicans who look at this, that doesn't mean there's not a there there. Yes, there could be something in there that ensnares the president. The Democrats think they have it with the uh, Ukraine phone call. I'm wondering if they think there's something else in there, too. And they're going to build slowly. But right now, what we're seeing is a drip, drip, drip campaign of the Democrats and people in the intelligence community leaking things to harm the president to build the narrative. But I'm wondering if maybe they overplayed their hand with this Australia thing, because I've looked at this Australia matter, and this is a stupid complaint against the president. I mean, it's ridiculous that they think that somehow this one is a big one. We'll get to that when we come back. One note for the president of the United States, please. He is congratulating President Z of China on the 70th anniversary of the People's Republic of China. Um, please don't congratulate communists on a dictatorial communist regime that persecutes and kills Christians, Uyghurs, Muslims, and others. Um, please, please don't congratulate a communist regime. You know, NPR actually ran a story today that the Communist Party has lifted millions out of poverty, but income inequality is growing. I kid you not. That was an actual story. Meanwhile, here in Georgia, 11 Alive in Atlanta is reporting that a man accused of being a Chinese spy met with a double agent in Georgia. A Chinese tour operator charged by U.S. officials with illegally ferrying information to China was exposed by a double agent working at least in part in Columbus, Georgia, the U.S. attorney in San Francisco said. Uh, ZheY Edward Ping, 56, described as a quiet and friendly. Well, aren't they all described as quiet and friendly? With a taste for luxury cars, was charged in documents unsealed Monday with being an illegal foreign agent and delivering classified US national security information to officials in China. Anderson did not say how long Ping had been operating as an unregistered as an unregistered spy. What you have to register to be a spy these days? What do you do? <laughs> Sorry, that caught me off guard. I clearly should have read this more before I read out on, on air. You got an unregistered spy. <laughs> you gotta you gotta go to the spy registry in Washington D.C. and hand over your license. Hi, I'm here to be a spy and deliver classified informations back to the commies. <laughs> He's an unregistered spy for China's Ministry of State Security. Only that the FBI employed a double agent in 2015 who conducted exchanges with Ping in the San Francisco Bay Area and in Columbus, Georgia. Anderson accused Ping, whom he described as a tour operator for Chinese students and visitors, of a combination of age-old spycraft and modern technology. Interesting. Interesting. Uh Danilo Serrano, a neighbor of the accused spy in Hayward, California, said Ping moved in across the street from him five years ago, kept a Lexus Lexus and a Porsche. About a year ago, he bought an expensive Tesla, the nice one with the doors that go up. Man must have had a lot of money. Isn't it always interesting how the commies come here and they live it up uh, in ways they can't back home? Um, Ping secured a hotel room He would leave up to $20,000 there Authorities said The double agent would then get a key to the room Take the cash and leave a digital card Containing information Ping would take the card and travel to Beijing And meet Chinese intelligence Authorities said the unnamed double agent went to the FBI In 2015 after China's intelligence department Tried to recruit the person as a spy The unnamed agent was told by Chinese Intelligence officials at the meeting in 2015 That Ed was reliable and had family In China Aha! The old we're keeping your family here card. The criminal complaint said Ping is a naturalized U.S. citizen who entered the country on a temporary business visitor visa and became a permanent resident. In 2006, he was naturalized. In September of 2012, oh, he holds an acupuncturist license. Fascinating. So on the day the president is is, uh, congratulating the Chinese... Turns out this guy's a a spy. Interesting. Um. Oh, interestingly enough, the, the neighbor says he can't believe this guy was a spy. It's Ed. Ed. Ed's the spy. <laughs> this whole thing, I mean, I shouldn't laugh at it. The spy was conveying American intelligence, but this whole he's an unregistered spy thing, that just gets me. That just gets me. Oh, okay, okay, okay. We do need to talk about the Australian matter. Uh, we, we do, but I have to tell you that the number two most read thing at the Washington Post right now is a story how the sexy peach emoji joined the resistance. That's right. Let, let, me, let me read you the tweet that started this all. If you want to understand how the sexy peach emoji I, I, I thought it was just a, I didn't realize it was a sexy peach. Who is who is uh, drawing inferences into a peach emoji that it's sexy? Is there an unsexy peach it's covered in fuzz and and black spots? The sexy peach emoji has come to represent both the potential impeachment of President Trump and a but. You must look to the ancient Sumerians. Wow. Is Jeff Bezos forcing a clickbait quota? On the Washington Post for stories like this. Absurd. When we come back, the Australia Nothing Burger, let's discuss it, shall we? And we'll take your phone calls. Good morning to you, 35 after the hour. It is Eric Erickson here, live with you across the state of Georgia and across this nation and the world with the internet. With the internet. The phone number is 877 97 Eric, 877 973 7425. Uh, I want to discuss the whistleblower. Well, not the whistleblower. I'm sorry. Um, Multitasking. I shouldn't do that while I'm talking to you. Should I? I want to discuss the Australia situation. Now, again, let's back up. Um, I think that there is coordination. I I don't think we can dispute that there is coordination. Uh, And I think that the coordination in general, is coordination to make sure that people who believe there's there's a serious problem get their airtime, that they, they coordinated with Democrats to get it out. It, it doesn't mean... Me saying that I think there's coordination isn't to be dismissive of it um, for people who think there's a there there, but it is to note that I think there's more than meets the eye to this. I don't think we should deny that. Let's be grown up about it. Uh, The Republicans have coordinated releases of whistleblower stuff in the past against the Obama administration. That's just it. This is what they do in Washington. And part of that is the drip, drip, drip. Um, We have the the dripping of the—there are other transcripts. We have the dripping of the Saudi Arabian transcript. We have the dripping of the Putin transcript. And we now have the dripping of the Australian transcript. If you haven't heard the news, it it really is a nothing burger. And in fact, I think it undermines the whole credibility of the process that they want to throw this one out there. Uh, The president asked Australia's prime minister in a phone call to work with William Barr, the attorney general— on trying to figure out what really happened in 2016. If you will recall, there was an Australian diplomat in London who met up with George Papadopoulos at a bar. Papadopoulos ran his mouth. This person reported it back to the Americans. There has long been a belief that this guy was a plant by the Obama administration to undermine the Trump campaign. And the president believes this, and in so believing, he wants answers. And he really believes, now listen, you you, you got to work back here. The president is convinced that the intelligence community does not like him and is out to sabotage his presidency. When he looks at this whistleblower stuff, he's he's got a pretty good idea that, yeah, they are. Whether they are or they're not, he looks at this stuff, and most of his supporters look at this stuff and say, yeah, they're out to get him. And if they're out to get him, they didn't like him to begin with. Uh, did they shade, color, or detract from or delete from The Mueller investigation, relevant facts, exculpatory to the president. And he wants to look and see. And in looking and seeing, the president wants to find data that supports his thesis, that the Obama administration was the one coordinating with people, particularly he believes the the Obama administration was coordinating with Ukrainians to sabotage his election. And the reason that he believes the Obama administration was coordinated with Ukrainians is he believes that that Ukrainian administration uh, at the time supported Obama and that that administration, um, it, it wanted to help Hillary Clinton because it believed the Russians, it believed the Obama administration, the Russians were helping President Trump, given the Ukraine-Russian situation that they they wanted to help Hillary Clinton. It's all a convoluted mess of of strings across a chalkboard and, and, and I, I just I it hurts my head to even think about the elaborate nature of the conspiracy, but I got a lot of friends who who have bought into it. I'm I'm in general skeptical of all conspiracies, largely because I don't believe people can keep secrets. In fact, for example, this coordination stuff, I, I think within a year or so we're gonna have a tell all book come out that, that explains how it all happened, how it all went down. Everyone will want to pat themselves on the back as the man who took out the president, so they'll all want a book deal. But this Australian story is nothing. The media is blowing this up as if it's some sort of big deal, as if it's some sort of interference in the election. How is it interfering in an election when the election happened in 2016 and the president just wants the facts? Well, what exactly happened? I mean, that that's the entire gist of the story is that the president is asking Australia to help the attorney general investigate what actually happened. And, you know, to William Barr's credit, he's willing to humor the president. I, I, I have not understood this idea by the Democrats that somehow or another uh, they need to chase out all of the responsible people in the room and that if they don't chase out all the responsible people in the room, uh, that somehow they're doing a bad job. Why do you want to chase out all the responsible people in the room? Do you want the president surrounded by people like Rudy Giuliani the entire time? William Barr is a grown-up. He was George H.W. Bush's attorney general. He is highly respected. He was supported in a near-unanimous vote in the Senate when he was confirmed for George H.W. Bush. Joe Biden has sung his praises. Members of the intelligence community have sung his praises. And somehow he's the bad guy for humoring the president while doing his job. That makes no sense to me. And yet the Democrats, they want to destroy anyone who worked for the Trump administration. Look at the reaction of the media. The, the CNN, for example was willing to hire Obama administration personnel and put them into supposedly objective roles. But anyone who worked for Trump is somehow anathema. I think that's shows some partisan bias. And here's the same with this. I, I think there are problems. And I think the Australia story is, is indicative of this, how the media is running with things that, that they're nothing burgers I mean, that they, they really are genuinely nothing burgers. Now, The president, of course, wants to find the whistleblower, and the media is now blowing this up as well. Let me reroute the audio here. I guess I changed it. Uh, he, he He wants to find who is the person who leaked, and did they coordinate with the Democrats? We're trying to find
2: out about a whistleblower. When you have a whistleblower that reports things that were incorrect, as you know, and you probably now have figured it out, Uh, The statement I made to the President of Ukraine, a good man, a nice man, knew, uh, was perfect. It was perfect. But the whistleblower reported a totally different statement, like the statement it was not even made. I guess statement you could say with call. I made a call. The call was perfect. Uh, When the whistleblower reported it, he made it sound terrible. And then you had Adam Schiff, who, even worse, made up My words, which I think is just a horrible, I've never even seen a thing like that. Adam Schiff, representative, congressman, made up what I said. He actually took words and made it up. The reason is when he saw my call to the president of Ukraine, it was so good that he couldn't quote from it because there was nothing done wrong. It was perfect. So Adam Schiff decided, I can't let this happen. So let me make up. Do you ever hear of this one, Gene? Do you ever hear of anything like this? So Adam Schiff made up a phony call and he read it to Congress and he read it to the people of the United States. And it's a disgrace.
0: You know, Adam Schiff really, I think, hurt the Democratic cause in all of this. Um, he in in revising the president's transcript. I think he gave the president an attack that he otherwise would not have been able to get. Uh, And I think he, and I think this Australia transcript does the same thing. You release the Australia transcript, and suddenly, suddenly, it looks like there's, there's, everything is silly when there's no there there. I think that, and I think this is, I think it's fair to say that the Democrats are going to overplay their hand. I don't think they've already done it. Some people think they already have. I think the Republicans are going to overplay their hand. I think the president going on about civil war kind of overplays his hand, but then I think the Democrats are going to overplay their hand. Now, let us go to the phones. Ari from Houston, Texas, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the program.
3: Uh, Thank you, Eric. I'm really kind of intrigued by the different opportunities of, of in, interpretation of these things and how Hickey, Adam, opposed it. It was almost in itself proof of the prejudice, proof of the coordination. And on the other hand, <clears throat> if you just want to believe Trump's trying to do his best to clean up what's been an obvious uh, interference of all types of the election process, then, you know, what he's trying to do is simply the executive job of cleaning up the corruption. And they are scared to death. Ever since Mueller failed, they're scared to death that a lot of them are going to lose their jobs, lose their retirement, go to jail and be forever ruined. And this is the, the nature of this was put together pretty quick in less than two months. And it's extremely coordinated. So, you know what? What are they going to do? They're going to go for broke to save their butts. And frankly, you know, you know, if you listen to some of the media like MSNBC, all they're doing is sitting in a circle, imploding their own ideas on each other and interpreting everything in the worst,
0: worst possible way. Well, a lot know, of people criticize. Conspiracy. theory. Look, <laughs> listen, I, I appreciate that very much. I, and thank you very much for that. And, you know, you make you make a great point, Ari. The, one of the issues that's going on with the president and with uh, this administration. And, and by the way, I, I should I should tell people um, that so we had a caller. And, and it's, for those of you who are watching, there are a lot of people, a lot of people who are watching this online. And I put us in the commercial break screen when I had a caller because we've had a couple of trolls calling who are trying to capture Facebook. And the best way to dissuade it is, is they can't record the video when we go to commercial break uh, if, if we have the caller. So we Ari called from Houston. And his point is that there was obviously coordination because the president is trying to figure out what's going on. He doesn't like the administration. He doesn't like the, um, the, the intelligence community out to get him. And Ari made a very good point. Ari noted that if you watch MSNBC or, or many of these shows, what you, what you see is that they're giving the worst possible interpretation to what the president actually did. They don't give the president a charitable benefit of interpretation. And that's something I have noticed across the board since this president got elected. In fact, so let, let me back up. Let, let me back up here. When the president got elected, I, I pinned a piece shortly after the president's election. I, I was I was not a supporter of the president. And I wrote a piece and said, listen, I, I, I'm i a conservative who didn't support the president, and I didn't support the president because I didn't believe he was conservative. He was on the campaign trail defending Planned Parenthood and, and major government spending. I didn't like that. I didn't like his character. I didn't vote for Clinton. I didn't vote for him. Uh, well, the reality is that the president of the United States deserves the benefit of the doubt. I was wrong about the election, and he won. I should give him the benefit of the doubt. And I got blown up for writing that as someone who said I wasn't going to vote for the president, and I didn't vote for the president, but I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt. I gave him the benefit of the doubt. And it turns out he did far more conservative things than many people, myself included, thought he would, which is why I'm supporting him in 2020. But there are a lot of people in the media generally who look on the president, and they – interpret every single thing he does as bad or stupid. Remember the eclipse. Remember the eclipse. You had members of the media circulating a photograph of the president looking at the sun with with his eyes without any protection. And if you actually saw the video that that was from, you see he did a quick glance up and back. That that was it. But the media wanted to portray the president as stupid. Time and time again, the media takes the worst possible interpretation and imputes it to Donald Trump. So, for example, the president of the United States believes, I- I- implicitly believes, that the intelligence community tried to sabotage him in 2016. So the president asked the Australians, please cooperate with my attorney general. We're trying to find out if, if there, is, there are people within the government who were trying to undermine me in 2016, interfering with my election. Because the president believes he didn't work with the Russians to to steal the election from Hillary Clinton. He believes the Obama administration was trying to steal it from him, and he won anyway. But the media is convinced this is all some sort of elaborate conspiracy to go after Biden and the Clintons still. It is the worst possible interpretation. You read the call transcript with the president of Ukraine, what you see is that the president has been listening to pundits on Fox News saying a lot of things. Frankly, a lot of them aren't true. Rudy Giuliani has bought into these, th- these things. Take clou- uh, CrowdStrike, for example. I can't tell you the number of conservatives who have referred me to articles by John Solomon, and the articles are wrong. In fact, the prosecutor retracted pretty much everything he told John Solomon after the election in Ukraine and largely admitted he was saying this stuff to try to uh, persuade people in the election. But you're going to believe what you want to believe. And that goes for the Democrats as well. <clears throat> they want to believe what they want to believe. They want to believe that the president is out to to get everybody. They, they want to believe that the president is out to undermine American safety. They want to believe the president is in cahoots with foreign governments. They want to believe the president is trying to enrich himself on office. Hey, what about Joe and Hunter Biden? Yeah, you, you know, as a matter of fact, kudos to John King on CNN for pointing this out. It is a fair question to ask. Because of Hunter Biden's international
1: work, even if Joe Biden did absolutely nothing wrong, was he the best person to send to
0: Ukraine to deliver a message on corruption? Or should the Obama administration have found somebody else? Yes, exactly. Thank you, John King. Y'all, there's really not a lot of there, there's in a lot of this stuff. And yet the media is able to amplify it all by believing the absolute worst about Donald Trump. And as Ari from Houston, Texas, called in and pointed out, that when you watch these TV channels, they do not want to show any grace or common decency to the president. They want to believe the worst thing about him. And everything he does is interpreted to through their interpretation of Donald Trump as some terrible orange man, bad person. And to some degree, that's how we got the 2016 situation. The Obama administration, James Comey, the Clinton team, they believed the absolute worst about Donald Trump. And so every decision they made along the way, including buying into the Christopher Steele dossier, leaking into reporters, reaching out to members of Congress, all of this stuff was done on the absolute belief that Donald Trump was the worst person ever. And so they came to believe every intelligence document they got, whether real or not, they viewed it in the light of Donald Trump is so terrible, this must be true. And it tripped them up and now it's tripping up Democrats in Congress. The voice is correct. 877-973-7425 is the phone number. Okay. I, I, I you know, I have even gotten on all the Hunter Biden stuff. I I, I want to play you some audio, I guess. Well, man, the, the, these stories, you know, so I, I do a second radio show um, for a single market and i got to stop every six minutes for traffic, and the clock is abridged, and it's nice to be able to stretch my legs. But you get to something like this where I've now got four minutes to get to um, the break, and I've had this whole hour, and I'm thinking, man, I'm only just getting started. What what, what has happened? Well, let me play you one soundbite to set some perspective on where we need to go. I do, though, when we come back. There is Georgia news. We I keep putting it off because there's been so much fast and furious with this impeachment stuff. But we've, we've we got to get into Georgia news when we come back. But right now, there's this news.
4: Yeah, we had been expecting this move, a dramatic move, escalating this impeachment inquiry by the House, led by the House Intelligence Committee. Just moments ago, they announced they had issued a subpoena to the president's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, demanding he turn over documents as part of their investigation by October 15th. Now, what the Democrats uh, are asking for are communications and other efforts that Giuliani was involved with to urge Ukrainian officials to launch an investigation into the president's political rival, former Vice President Joe Biden. They say in this letter uh, that, uh, citing comments that uh, Giuliani even made on, on, on CNN telling our colleague Chris Cuomo when he acknowledged, saying, of course I did ask Ukraine to look into Joe Biden. Now, in this uh, this letter, they break down a number of different categories of documents that they want to to Giuliani to turn over documents from over the last couple of more than two years. Uh, So that's why they're giving him two weeks to provide all this documentation. Now, in addition to that, they're at these these the chairman of these three committees, it's the House Intelligence Committee led by Adam Schiff, but also the whole House Foreign Affairs Committee led by Elliot Engel, and House Oversight Committee led by Elijah Cummings. They've sent letters to three of Giuliani's business associates seeking depositions of these individuals. So what we're seeing more broadly here, Brooke, is is an escalation by this committee, which is already, these committees have already sent subpoenas over to the State Department asking to turn over documents relating to this effort to apparently urge the Ukrainian government to investigate the Bidens, also seeking depositions from former State Department officials, the House Intelligence Committee separately wants to talk to the Intelligence Committee's Inspector General once again, Uh, so we're starting to see the pieces come together of a rapidly escalating impeachment probe.
0: Yeah, a rapidly escalating impeachment probe coming together. They've subpoenaed Rudy Giuliani. Now, Rudy Giuliani uh, went on Fox News last night, and he had this to say. Is there anybody
2: that believes that Ukraine or China were paying for Hunter Biden's expertise? Or do you have the common sense to realize they were buying Joe Biden's office? And that is very damaging to the United States. Joe Biden was sent to Ukraine to, in part, deal with corruption, and he helped to corrupt the Ukraine. He is a laughingstock. We are, because we talk about corruption, and this guy puts his incompetent son to work for the most crooked oligarch in Russia? I mean, it
0: is outrageous. It is outrageous, and Rudy has a very fair point there, and the Democrats don't want to deal with it. Uh, They want to avoid it at all costs. I don't think they can avoid it at all costs. Uh, Even CNN is starting to talk about it. Uh, We'll get to that when we come back. But first, when we come back, uh, I am hearing more and more that the governor may be soon closing the door on resumes for the Senate. Uh, some interesting names are starting to float among the Senate uh, potential candidates. Uh, Jan Jones, eh, her name is out there now. She is the Speaker Pro Tem in the in the State House. Uh, you've also got the Sacrison Singleton race. It is today in Fayette County. The Sacrison campaign attacking me now, and is Michael Thurman going to run for the Senate? We should discuss when we come back. Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson show, the full number. This is important. You need to pay attention to this because I have an assignment. The full number is 877-973-7425. 877-97-ERICK, E-R-I-C-K, 877-973-7425. So my managing editor for The Resurgent, Philip. He's a Tennessee fan and he's really upset because ESPN has listed Georgia's next opponent as the lady Vols. You know, they're, they're playing, they're playing Tennessee Saturday night, Georgia's headed to Knoxville. So the question, the question is just how badly is Georgia going to beat Tennessee? I assume they're going to beat them more than Georgia State beat them. If they can't beat them by more than Georgia State beat them, then we need to reconsider Georgia's standing. But I assume they are. And so for Phillip, who's listening, who has to listen, it's part of his job. Feel free to call in and tell me just how badly Tennessee is going to be beaten by Georgia eight, seven, seven, nine, seven, three, seven, four, two, five. We will gladly take your phone call. So Philip has to listen to you. (laughs) Oh, I'm going to get hate mail for me. He may quit on me. Now we've got to get to Georgia news. Um, We have got to, I have put it off for impeachment all week. Uh, There's just uh, other than the, the stupid traffic thing in Rome, the, the speed cameras in school zones, by the way, I have heard from more people about the speed cameras in school zones that I talked about last week in Rome and people horrified they may be coming to their communities. Here's what you have to do. You must tell your county commission and your city council you are opposed. You must show up in force at city council meetings and county commission meetings. You must browbeat them. You know, overwhelmingly they offer time for people to come in and, and give public comment. You must show up and give public comment and browbeat them over these traffic camera things. Now, Jan Jones, the Speaker Pro Tem, has uh, filed for the U.S. Senate. She is the top woman in the state house, and she apparently wants, if you had to work with David Ralston all the time, would you not want out? I I, I have stories here, but, 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 but. Uh, we have some names. Uh, Chuck Estration, who I went to law school with, uh, he has filed. And uh, Jan Jones has also filed. Estration uh, chairs one of the two House Judiciary Committees. Jones has attracted all sorts of attention. Former journalist turned marketing executive. She's represented part of Alpharetta since 2002. Um, She's risen through the GOP ranks. I'm reading from the AJC now. She sponsored legislation that made it impossible to approve Medicare. Uh, She was a vocal supporter of the fetal heartbeat legislation. Very interesting. Um, and, And, you know, so here's one of the issues as well. Jan Jones is the Speaker Pro Tem of the House. And there are many Republicans who would really like Barry Fleming to become Speaker. Uh, Barry Fleming is the head of the other Judiciary Committee uh, in the House of Representatives. He. What's his specific chair? Yes. Yeah, he's the chairman of the regular Judiciary Committee. Barry Fleming. Um, where is Barry? Uh, his. I'm I'm pulling him up now. Yeah, this is so unprofessional. Yeah, that's what I thought. He He's in the Augusta area, Barry Fleming is. And there are a lot of a lot of Republicans who really would like Barry Fleming to be Speaker of the House of Representatives. And there are a lot of Republicans who think that the reason Barry Fleming won't stand up and do anything about the Speaker is not because the Speaker has placed Barry Fleming's testicular fortitude in a lockbox, but rather uh, because if he were to get rid of the Speaker, Jan Jones would become Speaker. And Jan Jones is Speaker, well, then he would be forced to run against the first woman Speaker in Georgia if she stayed in that place. And essentially, there are members of that, and and I'm just, I'm reporting what I've been told. You can decide whether it's true. What I've been told, and by the way, I don't necessarily think it's true. I think there's no way Barry Fleming would ever stand up to David Ralston. Uh, But uh, from what I've been told from his colleagues, Barry doesn't want to be the guy who pushes out the first female Speaker in Georgia. And that it is inconvenient with Jan Jones standing there as speaker that most people don't necessarily think she's cut out for the role of speaker. I will tell you that David Ralston is so deeply paranoid of Jan Jones and that she's somehow behind all the efforts to push him out. I was actually sent word by multiple members of the state house to please stop mentioning Jan Jones on the radio because every time i mention jan jones on the radio the speaker is convinced that she is somehow behind the plot to oust him as opposed to the speaker needing to recognize that he is his own worst enemy and needs to go to help the republicans i have been i have been assured repeatedly that jan jones doesn't actually want to be speaker per se and that her colleagues don't know that she would be the best fit to be speaker but they certainly think having her in Speaker Pro Tem is good for optics. Barry Fleming would very much like to be Speaker, and his colleagues would very much like for Barry Fleming to be Speaker. But Barry Fleming lacks the testicular fortitude to stand up and do the right thing against the Speaker of the House. I am told very reliably that the Speaker of the House lives in mortal fear that Barry Fleming might be one of the Republicans to speak up and say the Speaker needs to go. I am also told very reliably that there is no way on God's good earth Barry Fleming would ever do that if Jan Jones is there because he wants to be speaker. And I am told extraordinarily reliably that I should not believe all of this, that the fact of the matter is that Barry Fleming lacks the testicular fortitude to ever stand up to David Ralston, even if he thinks Ralston privately thinks Ralston should go. So if Jan Jones were to go to the U.S. Senate, that would free up the Speaker Pro Tem job. That would open it to someone like Barry Fleming, who could launch a coup, except he wouldn't do that. Um, The pipe dream lives on. Interestingly enough, on the Democratic side, one name that continues to crop up constantly is... Michael Thurman. Michael Thurman had been the labor commissioner. Michael Thurman was elected statewide repeatedly in um, Georgia to be the labor commissioner. Even after the Republicans took over the state, people kept electing Michael Thurman because Michael Thurman is a rather moderate Democrat who worked very hard to build bridges with Republicans. Michael Thurman retired. Uh, Mark Butler became the labor commissioner. Michael Thurman uh, wound up Involving himself in DeKalb County politics and ultimately was placed in a caretaker role there due to scandal, and then uh, took over in DeKalb County as I think the the chairman of the commission. Uh, Thurman is highly respected by Republicans, and he's also black, and that helps. It, it you know I gotta just tell you, it's stunning to me, stunning to me, that the Democrats have such a shallow bench. They're practically begging Stacey Abrams to run because Democrats don't only have a shallow bench, they have a shallow bench of black candidates who can run in Georgia. And that is really problematic for the Democrats. They're finally starting to get a clue as to what happened in 2016, or in 2018, rather. You see, Stacey Abrams has this theory. And the Abrams theory is that she ran as a diehard progressive, Died in the wool, unapologetic, progressive. You know, this is one of the things. I actually interviewed Stacey Abrams, and, and I have tremendous respect for Even if Stacey Abrams and I disagree on a lot of things, uh, pretty much everything, I have a tremendous amount of respect for her. She was willing to sit down for me in an interview for a conservative talk radio station before a crowd. She did so with a lot of grace and a lot of humor, and she made a number point. She and Casey Cagle shared a lot of things in common, a lot of policy views in common, And she articulated them better, I thought, than he did. She is very smart, and Republicans should not dismiss Abrams, but I think she misread the election in 2018. Abrams believed that she ran as an unapologetic progressive, and she told me on stage, I asked her, I said, I've heard this rumor that you're not going to be one of those politicians who runs to the center After you win the election, you're going to be you're going to be to the left in the primary and to the center in the general. And she said, no, she she is who she is. She wasn't going to change her positions based on what election she's running in. And I think that's to her credit. I think she should be commended for that. I, I appreciated her honesty in saying that. The problem is, I think she misread the election. She did very, very well. She came very, very close. And in her head, it was because she was progressive. And that Democrats need to run to the left. She outperformed Michelle Nunn and Jason Carter, who ran centrist campaigns. She ran to the left, and she did better. Therefore, Democrats in Georgia should run to the left. And you've got Teresa Tomlinson and Ted Terry, the two Senate candidates uh, running against David Perdue, who are doing that. They're running to the left. They're fighting each other for who's more progressive. The problem is I don't think that's right when you look at the data. Uh, Stacey Abrams mobilized black voters in a way white candidates typically don't. She gave them a reason to care. And she was running in a year where Democrats were fired up about Donald Trump and wanted him out of office. She benefited from being black and she benefited from Donald Trump being in the White House. She did not benefit from being progressive. In fact, there is plenty, plenty, plenty of data showing that Abrams lost votes to Kemp or had people stay home. Remember, I've run through this data so much that Charlie tells me to stop because it sounds like a broken record. Uh, She registered a million people, a million people. And 45,000, 49,000 of them showed up to vote. That's not impressive. I think that the Democrats misread the data. And the Democrats are starting to get a clue they need a black candidate. If they're going to fire up the base, they got to have a black candidate. And you know what Georgia does not have? Ironically, they don't have a deep bench of black candidates. And the ones they do have, some of them are deeply problematic, like Erica Jones. Remember her in the public's checkout line? saying the guy told her to go back to where she came from, and the public's employees all say, no, wait a second, she's the one who told him to go back to where he came from. That's going to hurt them. they got to have somebody to do this. Now, on the other side, I am told by multiple people, I have not confirmed with the, with the governor's office. I do not know from the governor's office. I don't want to ask the governor's office. I don't want to bother the governor or his staff because they are being bothered by everybody. But I am told that they are about to close the door on applications. In fact, there are some people now under the belief that this has done more harm than good, and I don't think that's the case. But I got to tell you, let's presume the governor's office closes the process. There are a pool of 500 some odd people who have, vote, who have applied. You and I can basically go through that 517, I think is the number I read this morning, 517 people thus far have applied. You and I can go through that process and we can weed out the nuts. We can weed out the people who we can guarantee will not be the pick. And that will leave us maybe two dozen people. Out of 517, that will leave us maybe two dozen people. Maybe, at maximum, two dozen people. That gives the Democrats from now until the end of December to dig up opposition research on every single one of them. And I think that's a problem. I think that giving the Democrats that much of a runway to dig up dirt on people um, gives them a latent advantage. Now I don't think it was wrong for the governor to do this open application process. I I'm wondering if maybe it should have started later But they were under so much extraordinary pressure they wanted to. So I'm wondering, and and again, I haven't talked to the governor's office. I don't know, but multiple people are telling me they hear that the door is about to be closed on accepting applications. I think they should extend it. And I think they should probably in the whisper mill let it be known that it's going to drag out for a while longer. So that the Democrats can't quite begin their opposition research. Now they will to some degree because the names are already there. You can weed them, go through. But the other issue, though, is is Johnny Isaacson committed to stay until the end of the year? And I think we need some clarity on that. I'm not sure if Isaacson is absolutely staying until the end of the year. There's no reason for Brian Kemp to rush out a nominee. If Isaacson is willing to step aside early for a nominee, then then go for it. Go on. Get it out there, get it out of the way, get it done, take it off his plate. I think that's a possibility, too. We will. I guess we'll soon find out. Now, again, I am willing to take your phone calls. Nobody ever takes me up on this, but I'm serious. I am deadly serious. The phone number is 877-973-7425. My managing editor is a Tennessee fan. And I think it is appropriate for people to call in and discuss just how badly Georgia is going to beat Tennessee. I'm, I'm happy to take those phone calls and make him listen to it. I am a terrible boss. You should know I'm an awful boss to work for. I am. But I still think it would be funny. Georgia plays Tennessee this weekend. ESPN, in their coverage of this, says that the University of Georgia football team is going to play the Lady Volunteers which probably would actually be better on the football field than Tennessee's current team. So let me explain what the voice was just saying. We call JJ the voice here. Um, What he was just pointing out is I have an email list and I only rarely deploy it. Uh, If, for example, you text the word show. To 33777, uh, you will get a link texted back to you to our podcast, and you will also be subscribed to the daily email. I send out an email every morning at 6 a.m. If you don't want all that and you just want action items, occasionally, when the legislature meets here in Georgia or if there's something before Congress, I'll occasionally send out an email to activists and say, hey, you need to call your member of the legislature right now. Click on this link. And we we call it our Army of Activists, and you can text the word ARMY to 33777 to subscribe. Now, what happens? Well, if there's an action item, let's say, for example, a great example is uh, the Religious Liberty Legislation, that, or, or the Fetal Heartbeat Legislation last year was a perfect example. Fetal Heartbeat making its way through the Georgia legislature, it got held up. And we activated the army list and I sent, I sent people an email and said, Hey, click this link to call your state legislator here in Georgia and get them to vote for this. And if you click the link that you got an email, it would open up on your cell phone, assuming you were on your cell phone, or it would open up on your web browser and say, give me your cell phone number. And you put in your cell phone number and you get a call and the call would say, type in your zip code and you'd put in your zip code. And suddenly you're connected to your state representative. You talk to your state representative. And when they hang up, it says, now I'll connect you to your state senator. And then it would roll you over to your state senator. So you could call your state representative and your state senator and tell them to support the fetal heartbeat legislation. We've done it for uh, the free the beer legislation. We've done it for the fetal heartbeat legislation, religious liberty. Uh, We've done it for campus carry. Um, We do this. and We also do this a lot in uh, the federal government. Uh, on immigration, on uh, Brett Kavanaugh, on Neil Gorsuch, uh, things like that, call the Senate and whatnot. Uh, If you want to be an activist, I try to make it easy for you. Literally, you can do it on your cell phone. You just text the word ARMY to 33777, and when there is an action item, you don't get any other emails, you don't get spam, you don't get ads, you don't get anything. You just get the action item to take action. Um, what, What I really, really, really get tired of, it has become a pet peeve of mine, is people who want to listen to talk radio and do absolutely nothing. I believe my job is to provide you information, educate you, motivate you to get involved, and then provide you the tools by which you can get involved. And I realize there are a lot of people, in fact, I've got some big names of mine who you would know who dissuade me from doing this. And they say once you start to, and they're right, by the way, I've already experienced it, that once you start doing this, everybody is coming from you from all angles to get you to pick up their cause and run with it. And you just get tired of people trying to connect you to, to fire up your army to take their, and yes, uh, which is why I've, I've worked to also surround me with people who can kind of weed out those people and, and shield me from having to deal with them. But there are issues on which you should be involved. And I do not understand why people want to sit and yell at the radio or the TV and not actually pick up the phone. I mean, there are times where I just have people send emails, Facebook messages, and tweets with this action center. But there are times where a phone call is appropriate and we make it easy for you. Uh, There is no reason that you should just sit on the sidelines, yell at the radio, not along with me, call in and be angry with me, and then not actually reach out to your legislator on these issues you care about. I want to make it easy for you, but you do have to take the first step. The first step, it's an easy step. You pick up your cell phone right now and you, you go to your messages app and you send a message to the number three three seven seven seven. The number is three, three, seven, seven, seven. And your message is one word army, a R M Y. You send that out and you'll be signed up. And when the action item comes You'll be able to take action as an activist instead of just yelling at the radio. Welcome back. The phone number, 877-97-ERIC. That's 877-973-7425. We got to move on to other stuff, do we not? I I Just very briefly, I do want to mention, and this is outside... The listing area for most of you, but you do need to watch this. It actually is important. It's the special election House District 71 today. Um, that is the district. It's a House district. David Stover represented it. David Stover was in the state legislature for a couple of years. Very conservative, was one of the uh, signers of the resolution to oust Speaker Rawson. You need 16 Republicans on that resolution. They had 10. They've lost Stover. So if Singleton wins there, they'll get 10 again. And they need really six more to be able to have a real impact. Uh, The reason is because the Republicans in the House have a 15-seat majority. You need 16, basically, to put this on the Democrats. If you got 16 Republicans in the State House saying David Ralston needs to go then suddenly it's the Democrats are the ones protecting him because it's Democratic votes that are keeping the Speaker in place. That suddenly neutralizes the issue of the Speaker in the campaign next year when the Democrats are the ones keeping him in place. Now, that's somewhat esoteric. I honestly think what needs to happen, if you really want to remove the Speaker of the House... So I, I've i talked to people on background um, in uh, other offices. Let me just... I don't want to get people in trouble. I, I've talked to to staff on backgrounds in other offices. And the thing that they tell me is that a lot of House Republicans are chicken and they know there's a problem and they need a swift kick in the pants, but you're not going to get the senator or the governor involved in ousting the Speaker if you don't have 16 Republicans. you got to have 16 Republicans. Ed Stetzler was someone who Republicans thought would do it. In fact, I'm told Stetzler went into a meeting and was prepared to call on the Speaker's ouster. And there were a number of Republicans who were going to line up behind Ed Stetsler doing this, but the Speaker cut a deal with Ed Stetzler. The Speaker would not block the fetal heartbeat legislation if Stetzler would not, if he would stop supporting the measure to oust him. And sure enough, the Speaker, surprising many people, uh, allowed the fetal heartbeat vote down and pushed people to support it, and then stetzler shut up about getting rid of the Speaker. Uh, you, there, you want to talk quid pro quo, quid pro quo. And, you know, it, it's, it's I think if you're somebody like Studdler who has wanted to do this legislation for years and suddenly you have an opportunity, well, you take that opportunity. I, I don't fault him at all. Let's just be clear about what's happening here. But you got to get 16 people to stop the Speaker. And the reason you need 16 people is because if you have 16 Republicans saying the Speaker needs to go, you have 16 Republicans who can block everybody's agenda items. They can stop the governor's legislation. They can stop the Republicans' legislation in the House. They can stop the Senate legislation. They can stop it all. They can say, we're not doing anything. We're dragging this to a halt until the Speaker goes. Thereafter, the Speaker will either require Democrats to support him or the Speaker will leave. And if the Democrats support the Speaker then suddenly it becomes a non-issue for the campaign in 2020. The Speaker, you should know, after I mentioned the other day, you know, you can hear me in the Speaker's district uh, on radio up there, and after I mentioned the other day the Speaker's not going to run again in 2020, uh, he came out with a statement saying absolutely he is going to run again for re-election. Of course I expect him to say that because I'm on radio spoiling the surprise, uh, and I expect, and you know, I, maybe, maybe me saying it, you know, I, I live rent free in the speaker's head. He actually, uh, he, he was behind the scenes at a closed door thing and said he wasn't going to let some uh, loud mouth on radio bully him out of his job. Uh, that, that's fine. He's just going to bully the Republicans out of the majority. He is. Um, but uh, so the speaker, after I said he wasn't going to run again, he issues a very forceful statement that of course he's going to run again in 2020. I'll believe it when I see it. May, maybe he actually will. Uh, But there are lots of growing signs saying he's not going to run again. But, you know, now we know he is going to run again. And so Republicans cannot console themselves on the fact that he's going to go away. He says he's going to run again. And if he's going to run again, this is going to be a campaign issue for the Democrats. It's going to be a huge campaign issue for the Democrats. The Republicans will be beaten up in the suburbs with the voices of victims of Ralston's clients unless enough Republicans are brave enough to stand up and take him out. And that race in House District 71 is about this issue. Marcy Sackerson is Lynn Westmoreland's daughter. She is running, as best I can tell, she's using an Abrams tactic. She's like a white Stacey Abrams. And she is saying that she's going to stand up to Atlanta. Her entire campaign is funded by lobbyists and by the Speaker of the House and by the Speaker's cronies. How can you stand up to Atlanta when you were bought and paid for by Atlanta? That's her argument. She's running against a combat veteran with two bronze stars. Whose money comes from in that district, and who is saying it's time for the speaker to go. That's what this race is about. It is about the Speaker of the House. If Sackerson wins, the Speaker will be emboldened. If she loses, the Republican critics who realize the Speaker puts their majority in jeopardy, they will be emboldened. That's the choice. If you know anyone in House District 71 that's more the Moreland, Tyrone, Peace Tree City, Noonan area, you should call them and tell them, be sure to go vote today for Singleton. Go vote for Philip Singleton. And send a message. I, I I absolutely think that Republicans have to clean up their own house, or the voters are going to do it for them. Now, all that said, that that's that. I didn't want to spend too much time on it. I do want to move on to other things. We, we still have a lot of stuff here that we got to get to. One thing you do need to know: yesterday, I I actually spent way more time than I wanted to on the Georgia Power rate hike. Uh, they they had the first hearing. There's not going to be a vote. Until December. But I, I spent yesterday dealing with the Georgia Power rate hike situation. And, and interestingly enough, the CEO of Georgia Power testified before the Public Service Commission. Now, typically, as the AJC has noted, typically what happens is the state is, Public Service Commission will ultimately give Georgia Power a rate increase, but not give it to the extent they want. They want essentially a $17 increase. It actually wound up being slightly over $16. Uh, But Paul Bowers testified. And he made essentially the case that I explained to you yesterday, and I think he's right on this, that they haven't had a base rate increase in a very long time. Expenses are going up. There is massive regulatory pressure to transition to renewable energy. That is a big issue. Um, that is a big cost. And uh, the critics are saying, well, there's coal ash. Coal ash needs to be cleaned up. They, they shouldn't. They should have to pick it up themselves rather than charge it to their customers. Where, where does Georgia Power get the money from to be able to do that? It, it's from the customers. It is true that Georgia Power is profitable, and maybe they could cut into their profits. But there's also long-term planning going on here, and this is a rate increase that will go out over a number of years, and it is a rate increase I would argue is necessary. Uh, it's necessary because they haven't done it in a long time, and there are external factors uh building pressure on Georgia Power to do things like solar and as well having rich people offload themselves from the grid, which is going to raise all of our costs. That's essentially what's happening here. Um, One of the things that continues to come out, though, there are two reasons I'm bringing this back up. I don't want to be a broken record on this issue. But I mentioned that yesterday on this program and have been inundated with angry emails from people that just seem way too coordinated. Way too. And they all basically say the same thing. Georgia, a scam. Uh, Georgia power is a scam. Georgia power is bad because they rely on coal. Uh, this is going to hurt the poor. No, 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 no. This, this is, you know, there's something Orwellian in the language of a lot of environmentalists. I mean, first of all, if you look at the major environmentalists out there, uh, most of them are opposed to nuclear power. And there is no doubt that nuclear power actually helps reduce carbon emissions. In fact, Nuclear power reduces all emissions. And yet you've got an environmentalist movement deeply hostile to nuclear power and very upset with Georgia Power for building a nuclear power plant. Now, in fairness, there are going to be extra costs because of plant Vogel. Um, Westinghouse went bankrupt. uh, Costs went out of control. Uh, People's rates are going to go up because of that probably as well. And so the Public Service Commission will, will balance all these things together, I think. But I was actually stunned yesterday on this program. We're on right now I think we'll be on 10 stations in the next couple of weeks, so we're on nine stations across the state of Georgia right now. Uh, From the Chattahoochee to the Atlantic, from the North Georgia Mountains to the Florida Coast, we cover the entire state, but we're only on nine stations right now. And I was inundated with angry emails from environmentalists upset, and I'm sorry, much like this whistleblower complaint against the president, this has all the markings of coordination. When they're all emailing me and they're saying the same thing. That Georgia Power is bad. This is bad for the poor. They need to do better on solar power. For God's sakes, people, you should come down to Macon. Uh, I can lead a field trip. I can drive you out towards Eastman, Georgia. Uh, what is it? Highway 23, I think it is. 23? No, 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 no. Let me pull up my map here. There is this massive solar facility that Georgia Power is building near my house. Um, you, go to, you go to take Scoda Road. Yeah, you get off on Highway 23. Yep, that's it. That's it. You head towards Cochran, Highway 23. There is a massive, massive solar plant that they're building. I mean huge, down Highway 23. Um, it is, it's on the other side of the, if you know where Bond Swamp is, uh, you go down near the Bullard area, Tarversville, there's just this massive solar power facility they're building. And it is a massive solar power facility that is, I think, going to be the largest in the southeast. And the environmentalists are livid that Georgia Power is competing with them on solar power. I I realize this sounds absurd. I realize it sounds absurd. But you got to remember, there are a bunch of third-party solar power companies that got started because they did not think the coal-burning power companies would ever do that. And then they saw Georgia Power head off on nuclear power, and they thought, hey, here's our time. And they want to do windmills, and they want to do solar power. Well, guess what? Here comes Georgia Power and says, you know what? You want solar? The state has mandated solar. The federal government wants solar. We're going to do solar. So Georgia Power puts in this massive, and it's not even built yet. Uh, it's under construction. I was I drove out there. Oh, gosh. Uh, when I go with this weekend to MT to Hawkinsville, and you drive right past the thing, and there's this, I mean, it is massive. And they've got some of the panels installed already. And now the solar people are upset because George Powers competing with them. You just, you can't win. Anyway, this is all to say, I, so I spent time yesterday on this, uh, way more time than I am spending way more time on it now than I wanted to, but I got to this co- clearly coordinated campaign of angry emails from environmentalists denouncing me for being okay with with George Bauer. Um, that George, George Bauer, they're not doing enough on solar. Well, for God's sakes, I just drove past the solar field. It's going to be the largest in the Southeast. Don't tell me they're not doing enough. But, you know, there, there's this crazy thing that's happening now out there where it's the solar people are competing with each other. And they're running these AstroTurf campaigns. You know what an AstroTurf campaign is, I presume? Uh, a grassroots campaign is a, is a campaign of concerned activists on the ground in an area. An AstroTurf campaign is an outside group that manufactures a campaign of, of people they put on the payroll in a local community. And it looks like it's an authentic grassroots campaign when it's really really being coordinated by an outside group. And so the solar industry is actually astroturfing each other now because you've got these independent companies, all of whom are relying on government subsidy, and they're fighting each other. Well, now here comes major Georgia corporation, Georgia Power, Southern Company, putting in a massive solar field, and they're suddenly realizing they're going to be shut out. Yeah, the same thing happened in Augusta. Um, what's the little town? Out now i got to pull up my map here. What is the town outside of Augusta? Um, is it Appling, Georgia Apple? Yeah. Cause there's Appling County. There's Appling, Georgia. One of the weirdest things about Georgia, um, is the, or was it outside of Evans. I don't know. Um, near Augusta, they're putting in a solar power plant. Yes. Appling, Georgia. It is Appling, Georgia. They're putting in a, a field of solar panels. Some farmer has rented their land and they're putting in solar power. And the solar power is owned by a power company and it's going to get it on the electric grid and people are going to be able to have clean solar power. And there's an AstroTurf campaign to scare people about the solar power. It's going to bring tourists. I'm not making this up. Uh, There are actually people out there saying we can't have the field of solar panels. Now, you should understand that in the agreement... You're not going to be able to see this. Unlike the Georgia Power one, that's so massive, there's no way you can avoid hiding it. And this one is going to be in a farmer's field, and they've let all the old growth around it stand. So you're going to have to go through a dirt road to get to the solar field where you can see the solar panels. And activists are livid. They're going to have tourists. That's right. One of the the chief complaints is they're going to be too many people coming through Appling, Georgia, a town of. I mean, you got to do a word search. In your map to even find Appling, it's got—I don't even know the town has a stoplight. I've never been to Appling. No offense to the people in Appling. I know you people in Georgia—you you get very precious about your stoplights. I came over from Louisiana to go to Mercer, and mentioned I was from a town that had no stoplights, and people were like, "Whoa, you're from a real small town." It's like every town in Georgia needs one stoplight just so they have some level of legitimacy. Appling, Georgia—I don't know if they even have a stoplight, but they're going to have a solar field. And activists for solar companies are undermining the power company, putting in the solar field, claiming there will be tourists because these people want a monopoly on the solar panels. It's ridiculous. It's kind of silly to watch. But now they're coming after Georgia Power on that. Um, Here's what you need to know. The Public Service Commission is going to hold a series of hearings around the state about an increase. If you don't like it, you can show up at the hearings. Find out when. I'll let you know where they are. You can go complain if you want. In December, they will take a vote. The odds are they're going to let Georgia Power raise the rate. Georgia Power ultimately has the winning argument. They haven't done this in years. The rate needs to be increased. People are going off the grid. It's driven up the cost for everyone else. It's a bunch of rich people putting solar panels on the roofs, forcing Georgia Power to buy electricity from them, whether they want it or not. So I think Paul Bowers at at Georgia Power has the winning argument here. This is necessary. It hasn't been done in a long time. And unlike what the environmentalists are saying, this isn't going to be a real big tax on the poor. Your key takeaway here, though, is that I mentioned this yesterday, and I'm getting bombarded with a bunch of environmental activists. There is clearly an AstroTurf campaign against Georgia Power on this, so be careful what you're hearing out there. Now, I hope you're informed. <coughs> <The laughs> Babylon B is running a story that experts warn we have 12 years until global warming alarmists change the deadline for the end of the earth yet again. Um, there, there actually is some breaking news here. Uh, Secretary Mike Pompeo has released a letter and a tweet to go with, with the letter saying he's concerned with aspects of the House Intelligence Committee's request that can be understood only as an attempt to intimidate, bully, and treat improperly professionals of the Department of State, including uh, several career Foreign Service officers. Um, This is a letter to Elliot Engel, actually not the intelligence committee, the committee on foreign affairs uh, letter to Elliot Engel. We are in receipt of your September 27th, 2019 letter requesting the department voluntarily make available five current and former department officials for depositions. I'm concerned with aspects of your request described more fully below that can be understood only as an attempt to intimidate, bully and treat improperly the distinguished professionals of the Department of State, including several career foreign service officers whom the committee is now targeting. I have also been made aware the committee staff has been sending intimidating communications to career department professionals who have specifically asked for committee communications to be channeled through the Bureau of Legislative Affairs as is customary. Let me be clear, I will not tolerate such tactics, and I will use all means at my disposal to prevent and expose any attempts to intimidate the dedicated professionals whom I am proud to lead and serve alongside at the Department of State. Your letter also raises significant legal and procedural concerns. First, your letter raises fundamental legal questions related to the authority of the committee to compel an appearance for a deposition solely by virtue of these letters. Your letter implies that you have sought to compel department officials to appear for depositions on the identified dates, yet the committee has not identified, issued any subpoenas for depositions and we are not aware of any other authority by which the committee could compel appearance or deposition. The House rules also require the committee to provide a notice of deposition, but your letter contains no such notice and otherwise fails to meet the requirements of these rules. It is therefore It therefore appears that your letter may only be read as a request for a voluntary appearance of the five department officials. Second, your letter provides a woefully inadequate opportunity for the department and the requested witnesses to prepare. These individuals have retained or may be retaining private counsel, as is their constitutional right, and in the course of the department's discussions with these individuals, several have indicated that they need more time both to retain and to consult with private counsel. In addition, State Department counsel must consult with these officials and their counsel once retained regarding the department's legitimate interests in safeguarding potentially privileged and classified information. And on and on it goes. The Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, having none of Elliot Engel's uh, requests for depositions and subpoenas. Um, there you have it. Um, all righty. We've got more on impeachment when we come back. Uh, we've got Joe Biden acting up. We've got Elizabeth Warren acting out. we got Bernie Sanders crazy. And we've got the gossip inside the White House. But more importantly, we also have finally seen John Bolton. And we also, we also, this I think is worth noting, We now have Republicans and Democrats coming out with a Republican saying, let impeachment go forward, and a Democrat saying, wait a second, maybe we're rushing into something. That's very interesting. That's right. You have a Republican congressman now coming out, not just an Amish, an actual Republican now, uh, Justin's gone independent. You got a Republican congressman coming out saying, we should let this proceed. And we've got a Democratic congressman who's in a very swingy district saying, maybe not so fast. When we come back, we'll give you an update on the impeachment. We'll hear from Joe Biden and what people in the White House are starting to whisper. Yeah, we've got some audio on that as well. These are interesting times we live in as a republic. And also, did you know you can eat red meat now? And environmentalists are really upset with the scientists who say so. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson show across the state of Georgia. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC. That's 877-973-7425. This is going to be a rather whirlwind hour. You do need to know that because we got a ton of stuff. Um, I'm also totally happy to let you harass Tennessee volunteers, uh, with your phone calls. No one ever takes me up on this. I actually think Charlie call doesn't actually lead you people through uh, when you want to call. Now, all right, I want to begin. I want to begin with news uh, that is not impeachment-related. We got a ton of impeachment-related stuff, but this became a huge story. Before we get there, you do need to know that this hour is brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. FirstLibertyGA.com is their website. If you're a small or medium-sized business, And you want to become a big business here in Georgia, or if you're listing anywhere in the nation, First Liberty of Georgia can help you. They are a building loan. They're not a bank. They don't have a bank bureaucracy. Uh, The Frost family, good friends of mine, they make the decisions themselves without without the bank bureaucracy. If you need access to capital to grow your business, reach out to them. Go to FirstLibertyGA.com. Tell them that I sent you. They will help you. Thank you for their sponsorship. Uh, this show literally would not be possible without them. So if you're a smaller, medium-sized business and you want to support this show, support The Frost and FirstLibertyGA.com with your smaller, medium-sized business. Now, I want to play this audio for you. Uh, it will set the tone for what we got to discuss first.
3: A disturbing story tonight involving a school outside Washington, D.C. Police in northern Virginia are investigating after a
4: 12-year-old African-American girl said three white classmates pinned her down and
1: cut her dreadlocks. A black sixth grader says that she was pinned down by white classmates who mocked her and cut her hair a twelve-year-old virginia girl says she is traumatized she was pinned down by white classmates who cut her hair her white classmates pinned her down and cut her dreadlocks her classmates called her hair ugly and nappy as they pinned her down and cut several of her dreadlocks.
3: Today, the girl and her family told us about what they're calling a racist attack. The girl says she's been bullied by the same boys before. It's very disturbing about these boys
4: because it's heartbreaking and traumatizing for that little girl. The wife of the vice president, Mike Pence, she teaches there.
3: Karen Pence teaches art part-time at a manual. Second lady Karen Pence teaches art part-time there. Incidents
4: like this, they're not isolated. They're happening way too often. Uh, and you know what's really sad is that she didn't tell her family for a couple of days. She didn't. She didn't. They just noticed that her
1: hair was shorter yeah. and they asked her about it and she broke down. Because it was too was, upsetting It was to too tell. upsetting, yeah. Oh, I no. totally understand that.
4: The school told CNN those involved in the incident will be out of school while Police continue their investigation.
0: That's right. Karen Pence works at this school. Racism, racism, Karen Pence's school. This should not have been a national story, and it really wouldn't have been a national story, except for the fact that Karen Pence teaches at the school. And it's not true. And as you can imagine, the media has given far less attention to the fact it wasn't true than the fact that it was, uh, than the fact that they claimed it happened. Uh, The initial reports always get more attention than the retraction, and that's the case here, and that's unfortunately, And I got a few thoughts. Again, the media did this because it was the perfect uh, storm to rope in Karen Pence. A lot of people are focusing on the boys and how the boys were falsely accused. And how the school was maligned by this girl. And there are a lot of people who are roping their own personal political views into this. And, um, well, they are... I think that we got a situation where we need to focus on the girl. And I actually got beat up a little bit yesterday for saying that we should be praying for this sixth grade girl. I've got a daughter who's in eighth grade and she was bullied by the same boy. We actually, what, our child went to our church's school for a number of years and she was bullied for a number of years by the exact same boy. And we went to this teacher and we went to the principal and we went to the headmaster and then we kept finding, they, they would move her. They would make sure they weren't sitting next to each other. They weren't in classes and, and it would still happen. And then we finally found out that there were other kids being bullied by this kid and the school had a serious discipline problem and we packed up and moved to a different school. Um, but there were other kids still bullied by this kid. We were gone extricated from the situation and, and there were kids lashing out and kids making stuff up to amplify it because they were being bullied by the kids and the administrators weren't doing anything, and so they made up outlandish stories to try to get people's attention. And I don't know the facts here, and I want to be clear with that. I, I, don't, I don't know the facts. I don't know if the kids were bullying her. This girl says they were, but she's obviously an unreliable narrator. But I just want you to stop for a minute. Before we throw our partisan prejudices into this and say she's just trying to get Mike Pence or, or embarrass the school, What causes a sixth-grade girl to make up the story to get three boys in trouble? What would cause your child to make up a story to get three boys in trouble? Because this girl, she's probably going to get expelled from the school. Maybe she doesn't want to be there. Maybe this is her way of getting herself out, blow the whole thing up, embarrass her family. But she certainly embarrassed her family. Her, her grandparents are mortified, as are her parents, by what's happened. Uh, they held a press conference yesterday deeply upset by what the child has done. But I, I definitely think this is a child who needs some prayer. You've got a sixth grader who causes a national news story, getting attention, casting a, a aspersions on three boys, who did not do what they're accused of doing, there's some deep trouble there. And I, wouldn't, I would not jump immediately to partisan blame. What I would note, though, is that that's exactly what the media did. This girl is no longer useful to the media. They will move on from her when she clearly needs some help. She was only useful to the national media when they could drag Karen Pence into the story. They've been wanting to drag Karen Pence into the story for a while. The media does not like that Karen Pence is teaching at the school, and they don't like that she's teaching at the school because this is a Christian school where they uphold traditional Christian Orthodox values on um, homosexuality, transgenderism, on marriage. Uh, It's it's deeply unfortunate that Karen Pence is attacked for wanting to teach at a school that reflects her values, and it's a reminder of how the, the media doesn't want you to do that. Um, it, it's, it's a reminder of how the media is out to get traditional values. I wrote a book years ago called you will be made to care. Actually, it's not that long ago, four or five years ago called you will be made to care. It's it's from a phrase that I originated when I was the editor of redstate.com. We had a, we had a guy from Texas come onto the site and he said, I, I don't care about this issue. I, I, I don't care about people getting married to people of the same sex. I, I, I don't care. And I wrote to him at the time and said, you'll be made to care about the issue. You'll be made to care. And you may decide that you care in a way that offends the prevailing zeitgeist, but you'll be made to care one way or the other. They will force you to take a position. And when you take that position, they will punish you if you've taken the wrong position. They will praise you as long as you've repented and taken the right position. And we're seeing that in the media now with things like Karen Pence. Karen Pence teaching at a traditionally Orthodox Christian school. By the way, my kids, full disclosure, my kids go to a Christian classical education school that is wholly Orthodox. Uh, My wife and I had to be interviewed about our faith and um, how we came to know the Lord before before they'd allow our kids to go there. And frankly, it's been the perfect place for our kids. It has been a shelter from stormy waters for our kids. But the media wants these schools to not exist. You you heard the Obama administration's uh, Solicitor General argue in the Supreme Court that they may come for the tax-exempt status of religious schools that don't honor gay marriage. You will be made to care. Now, the left also wants to make you care on the environmental issue. Uh, they want to make you care on climate change. And, and you know what? Um, I don't care about it. To to the extent they're going to make me care, they're going to make me care against them. They're going to make me say it's no big deal. Let it happen. Let's adapt. Let's move on. And and they will hate you for that, too. They're out to get the the, uh, nuclear regulatory industry. They're out to get the nuclear industry. They're out to get George Power. You will be made to care. The other issue on which you will be made to care is impeachment. Republican Representative Amadi from New uh, Nevada, Nevada, not Nevada. They get mad at you in Nevada if you say Nevada. It's Nevada. Uh, Representative Amadi is a Republican. He's the first Republican to come out and say, "Let's let the proceedings proceed." You know what I thought
2: I was doing was having a, a, a press conference uh, via the telephone with Nevada outlets on impeachment because obviously it's a news item. And so, at the conclusion of that 40-minute thing, I talked to my comms person. They said, "Well, I think that went well." And then uh, a few hours later, we found out that we are for impeaching the president. And obviously, the weekend has been uh, kind of an exciting one for a uh, for a guy from Nevada. And so, uh, th- the fact of the matter is, is we voted along with everybody else in the House and Senate to follow regular order to send the uh, the whistleblower thing to the two intelligence committees, and then basically said, "Listen, let's see what the committees find out and what it'll do." Which are things, by the way, Neil, that a lot of Republicans and Democrats have said. But there aren't articles running about the Democrats saying that they're going to back the president because they want to see what the facts are, or other
0: Republicans saying that. Now, contrast that with uh Representative Jeff Andrew. He is a Democratic representative in Congress.
1: Are you worried because you were elected, as you know, in twenty eighteen on jobs and healthcare and all these other issues? It doesn't sound like your party's addressing that.
0: Well, I think we should
1: address it more. And I think all that's swirling around us now is impeachment. We talk about it day and night, it's what's on the news. Uh and frankly, I think it's fine if they still want to continue to have the type of investigations they did to see if something new turns up. There is nothing that has turned up that truly is impeachable. We all must remember that impeachment was something that our founding fathers set to be rare, extremely rare. And I always use the example, even of President Clinton, and I didn't believe in his impeachment either, Mm -hmm. but when they did go through a process with him, he actually got to the
0: point where he lost his law license. But you Mm -hmm. will notice that he still didn't go, wasn't removed from office. there you go. And of course, the, the media does like to hear that here comes a re- Democratic representative saying, no, 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 no. Well, what are they hearing in the White House? I know, I know, I know. It's Jim Acosta I'm about to play. Let me play it, and then I'll explain.
1: Uh, that's right, Brianna. President Trump suggested to reporters the White House is trying to discover the identity of the whistleblower whose complaint launched the Ukraine investigation. The president is on the attack, warning the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee could be arrested for treason and that the country could be drawn into a civil war if he's impeached. I'm told aides to the president have cautioned him just in the last few days he faces the real likelihood of impeachment. Now sources familiar with internal deliberations over the last few days involving Mr. Trump and top advisors about his call with Ukraine's leaders say aides to the president have warned him he faces the real likelihood of being impeached. Uh, but a source said aides are divided over the subject as some are reassuring the president that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is just placating Democrats and won't ultimately drive the process toward an impeachment vote. Now, as for the subject of impeachment, we should uh, put this up on screen. A new CNN poll shows the public is becoming more open to the idea with
0: 47% saying they support impeaching and removing the president. Yeah. The White House people telling the president that he's going to be, they're not actually telling the president he's going to, be, listen... Between Jim Acosta and me, I guarantee you I have better sources than the White House. I guarantee you. And they're not telling the president to prepare for impeachment. They're, they're not telling the president he's going to be impeached. They are telling the president that the House will probably get articles of impeachment moving forward. They probably will draft those articles of impeachment. But they're also telling the president he can expect a united front of opposition from the Republicans that unlike Bill Clinton. Remember, with Bill Clinton, you had, I think, 17 or 18 Democrats who supported impeachment and it gave some bipartisan veneer that the media probably glossed over. You're going to see a united front of Republicans against the Democrats on this. And then there's Mitch McConnell.
3: What does happen in the Senate if the House does get get through with this inquiry and decide that they are going to impeach President Trump?
0: Well, under the Senate
3: rules, we're required to take it up if the House does uh, go down that path, and we'll follow the Senate rules.
1: There had been some discussion about, I mean, people literally going back to the Constitution and arguing there is no mandatory act on behalf of the Senate. Looking back at an interview that you gave in March saying you'd have no choice but to have a Senate trial if the House passed an article or more, but you're saying that if they did, the Senate would move ahead.
3: Yeah, it's a it's a Senate rule related to impeachment that would take 67 votes to change. So I would have no choice but to take it up. Uh, how long you're on it is a whole different matter. But I would have no choice uh, but to take it up based on a Senate rule on impeachment.
0: Yeah, that's right. Under the Senate rules, uh, the Senate is required to consider impeachment. Uh, with legislation, the Senate can receive legislation from the House and just ignore it. With impeachment, they're not allowed to ignore it. Here's what I'm told by people in the know, uh, that it would very much operate like what happened with the uh, Bill Clinton impeachment, is that you could make an immediate motion to acquit. You could bring it to the Senate and make an immediate motion to acquit. You would still have to deal with it. You would have to recognize that impeachment has happened, but you could vo- move to not even hold hearings and just acquit. So that's where, 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 if you listen to the very end there, he's saying you have to bring it up, but it you, you don't have to spend a long time with it. That's what McConnell's talking about here. You don't have to spend a long time with impeachment. You just have to take up the impeachment motion. Unlike legislation, again, this is very important, and there's a lot of misstatements out there. The Senate does not have to bring up legislation. They can ignore legislation from the House. They can ignore anything they want from the House. Except one thing, impeachment. The Senate must consider impeachment under the Senate rules. Only you would have to have 67 senators vote to ignore impeachment, and they don't have that. So the Senate has to deal with it. But the way they can deal with it is that the impeachment res articles can be introduced into the Senate and in a vote immediately held to dismiss them. There's precedent. The Senate Democrats did that in 1998 with Bill Clinton. The impeachment articles were introduced, and the Senate Democrats immediately moved to dismiss or immediately moved to find him not guilty, Clinton not guilty. All of the Republicans voted against it. The Republicans voted to move to impeachment hearings and were joined by Russ Feingold, and the Clintons then poured their resources into beating Russ Feingold, which they actually weren't able to do at the time. It took Ron Johnson beating Russ Feingold, if I remember right hello welcome back the phone number if you want to be a part of the program here at the eric erickson show 877-97-ERIC that's 877-973-7425 877-973-7425 i've been accused of giving the number too fast to david chang the ethnic food aisle is racist now uh, full disclosure here. I like David Chang. Uh, Mama Fuku is his restaurant in New York city. He's an amazing chef. He has a documentary series on food on Netflix. Uh, he's definitely left of center. David Chang is, and he grew up in a Korean household and thought it discriminatory when he was a child. It clearly left an impression on him where he was raised and how he was raised that, um, his family, if they wanted Korean food uh, items, would either have to go to an ethnic grocery store or go to an ethnic aisle in a grocery store. The Washington Post has this story to millions of shoppers. The supermarket is just a place to stock up on produce and pantry staples to keep the family fed. But to others, especially children of immigrants who may already feel pushed to the margins of the American mainstream, the supermarket can just be another place to experience the sting of their outsider status. The sting occurs when they walk down the ethnic food aisle, the section of the supermarket that to some plays out like a remnant of the Jim Crow era, where laws established separate facilities for African-Americans in the post-Reconstruction South. Sometimes known as the international food aisle or even Asian or Latino aisles, these rows can come across to shoppers. They seemingly target as de facto segregation. Another kind of separate but equal policy. Oh good lord. The things people get upset about. Da- David Chang says this. If you if you go to the ethnic food aisle, this is sort of the last bastion of racism that you can see in full daylight in retail America. It's something that's got to go. Why? Who David Chang apparently looks at this and sees racism. I'm not going to dispute that David Chang looks at this and sees racism, but I look at it and I see it as a really convenient place instead of having to fi- look all over the grocery store. Now, I-, I can presume soy sauce, for example. I could presume that a grocery store might put soy sauce near the vinegar. And the water chestnuts, maybe in the vegetable aisle. But what about some of the other stuff you find? Um, fish sauce. Where are we going to put the fish sauce from, from what about the rice noodles? Are they going next to the pasta? This is, this is ridiculous nonsense. It's super convenient. Most Americans do not do stir fry at home. When those who do want to experiment, they know right where to go. The Asian food section in the grocery store. That's not racism. That's convenience to help introduce people to new cultures. Good Lord. The things people get outraged by these days. Latest media outrage out there. A Virginia teacher has been fired for refusing to use a trans student's pronouns. Yay, school district, for firing the teacher for being a bigot, apparently. Um, The media outrage because he's now suing the school district and has a shot at winning. You know, there was a situation with the University of Iowa where they threw a Christian group off campus. And the uh, documentation within the school showed deep hostility to people of Christian faith and uh they've now not only lost the case but have had punitive sanctions individually imposed on administrators who were bigoted um i think yeah it was the university of iowa uh, good wait hang on a second i don't want to get the wrong university let me make sure i'm usually good at remembering these things but you know i've got dad brain these days my goodness um da-da, da-da. yes the university of iowa a uh, court ruled the university and officials engaged in religious discrimination Uh, personal liability of offending, uh, of the offending administrators. This is from the Beckett, uh, legal Beckett law. It's, it's a nonprofit group that helps in religious discrimination cases, a vice president and other officials at the university of Iowa must pay out of their own pockets for discriminating against a religious student group. Inner varsity, is one of the great groups out there. InterVarsity Press, uh, which is somewhat connected with them. I think they've got more of a firewall these days, but fantastic publication. If you get most public—I won't say all, but most of your—if you want a good Christian literature from InterVarsity, go for it. The federal government ruled the university and its officers violated the law when they kicked InterVarsity off campus for asking its leaders to be Christian. A dozen other religious groups, including Sikhs, Muslims, and Mormons, were also kicked off campus for requiring their leaders to share their faith, the audacity of having a Muslim group require that its leadership be Muslim. Secular groups and a few religious groups favored by the university got a pass. In the ruling last Friday, the court held this discrimination was so egregious, the officers involved were personally liable to intervarsity. The court left open the possibility that the university's president, Bruce Harold himself, could be found personally liable InterVarsity had been on the university campus for 25 years. It welcomed all students as members and only required that students who lead its ministry affirm its faith. In the past, the university honored InterVarsity for its contributions to campus life. But in June 2018, the university claimed that by requiring its leaders to affirm Christianity, InterVarsity, a Christian group, was violating the university's non-discrimination policy. The university limited InterVarsity's access to campus, froze its bank account, shut down its website and advertised it was defunct due to lack of student interest. As a result, they suffered their mem- a me- the sharpest membership decline in 20 years. Friday's ruling confirmed the university's actions violated the, the uh, Constitution and ordered the university to respect university's right to select religious leaders going forward. Now this is pretty staggering. Um, last January, in a related case, uh, Blink versus University of Iowa, the court warned the university against enforcing policies unevenly. They were shown that they were discriminating against faith-based groups, and now the university administrators themselves will be held liable. Good, 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 good. Now, I, I want to get back to... Before we get back to him, and I'm sorry, we've talked about impeachment all week. Uh, You'll just have to humor me by letting me think of some other stuff to talk about. Here is this one. David Chang, the cookbook author, the restaurateur, the chef, says there's an invisible ceiling on some supermarket items. Italian products that were once marginalized, such as olive oils and vinegars, are now integrated into the grocery store aisles while Chinese, Japanese, and Latino foods remain stuck in their own sections. This is ongoing segregation of foods, Chang says. It isn't about acceptance among the mainstream. Asian and Latino cuisines have long been embraced by Americans of every stripe. You can sometimes even see this acceptance play out in supermarkets. Instant ramen and tortilla soups sit right next to boxes of chicken noodle and cream of chicken soup. Same for the produce selection. Plantains and mangoes are sold in the same areas as apples and icebergs. Yet in supermarkets, there are still aisles dedicated to soy, soy sauce, duck sauce, oyster sauce, rice vinegar, coconut milk, rice crackers, stir fry sauces, yum yum sauce, curry paste, corn adobo seasoning, bag tortillas, refried beans, sauces, and hundreds of items. Well, of course! I'm sorry. But if you're going looking for tomatillos, you know they're going to be in the produce section. That's like, uh, unless you're a complete idiot, a tomatillo is like a green tomato, except not. It's in a husk uh, or a plantain was like a banana. It's produce. You're going to go produce to find it. But where, for God's sakes, are you going to go find the duck sauce, the adobo sauce, the yum yum sauce? Where, where in the grocery store do we put those things? You know, the, the pasta aisle, it's on an entire aisle by itself with the pasta sauces and the pasta and the rice. It's all there. Grains and pasta. And by the way, that segues in most grocery stores into the international aisle. But you know why the, the, the red wine vinegars and the balsamic vinegars and the olive oils and the extra virgin olive oil have all been moved into these locations? Well, one, uh, hello, these are all vinegars. We can put the vinegars together. These are all oils. We can put the oils together. There's still an entire grocery store aisle dedicated to pasta. And guess what you're going to find on the pasta aisle? You're going to find the other Italian stuff too. It's not racism. It's convenience. There's it nothing to do with racism. We, if you move the yum-yum sauce out of the aisle for the Asian stuff, where are you going to put it? Where are people going to go looking for it? You know, at the time, I have a hard time finding pimentos for pimento cheese. I want to go find it next to the cheese, and it's not. It, it's It's... Where is it? It's like with the canned meats. They put the canned meats, the pickles, and the pimentos together right next to the condiments. At least at my Publix. But the fact that someone looks at this and says this is racism, as opposed to, yes, Americans like Ch- I had Chinese food last night. But how often do I cook Chinese food at home? I don't, and I cook a lot. I cook so much, I probably should cook less. I should cook healthier. I should cook more stir-fry. My wife cooked stir-fry yesterday. I wasn't home to eat it. I had Chinese food in Atlanta. But where are you going to put that stuff? Do you know how often I cook Mexican food at home? I love Mexican food. I eat Mexican food probably three times a week. I love Mexican food. There is a Mexican restaurant right outside the front of my neighborhood. I love it. But how often do I use it? I, I, I don't. I, I don't cook it at home except on occasion. A couple of weekends ago, I will tell you, I made, uh, I braised, what did I do? I braised a chicken and I made homemade chicken enchiladas. I slow roasted or braised the chicken. I made homemade enchilada sauce. I made homemade salsa I made homemade flour tortillas. The only part of it that was not homemade was the cheese. I got bagged Mexican cheese, which incidentally is in the cheese section because it's cheese. I made homemade Mexican food. I braised the chicken. I pulled the chicken. I cooked it in the homemade enchilada sauce. I stuffed the homemade flour tortillas. I covered them in more homemade sauce. I covered them in cheese. I made homemade salsa to go with homemade fried corn chips that I made myself at home. I made homemade corn tortillas, flattened them into circles, cut them into triangles, and deep fried them for homemade chips. I spent the entire day on this meal. My wife and kids went to McDonald's. Yeah, that's the punchline. I spent all day on the meal, and they ate other stuff. Um, <laughs> they didn't want to eat it. Uh, my my wife, she claimed clueless. I shouldn't I shouldn't pick on my family here, but I spent the entire day in the kitchen on this meal, and they went to McDonald's. It was fantastic, by the way. It was a fantastic meal. I enjoyed every bit of what I ate. It was great. But I rarely do that one because my family clearly doesn't want it. But two, uh, when I do, where am I going to find this stuff? <laughs> Charlie, by the way, says um, our 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 other boss would be having an anxiety attack if he were listening. I should probably stop spending time on food. But this whole idea that the the ethnic aisle at the grocery store is racist, as opposed to. Americans don't typically cook this stuff at home. I'm one of the few exceptions, and even I rarely do it. Where are they going to find this stuff? When they go to the grocery store, they want to get in and out. It is a lot easier to put the duck sauce and the yum-yum sauce in the ethnic food aisle than it is to put it in some other aisle where you've got to go hunt for it like you're looking for pimentos or something. It's crazy to think that it's racist, but this is where we are in the United States today. Everything is racist. Everything is viewed through a racial lens as opposed to a convenience lens at the grocery store. It is silly. You know what else is silly? The Australia story. The media is saying that the president, this is just proof of the president's pattern and practice of conduct. You need to learn this key phrase, pattern and practice of conduct. It has a meaning in the law that when you show that someone is behaving the same way over and over again, it establishes a pattern and a practice. And it shows that the president is abusing the law to advance his reelection. Except what is the pattern and practice here? The president is asking foreign governments to investigate things the president believes the Obama administration ignored. That is his pattern in practice. His pattern in practice is to watch geriatric blue-haired people on Fox News throw out elaborate conspiracies that he believes are true and he asks the intelligence community to pursue them. That is the pattern in practice. Asking Australia to help the Attorney General investigate 2016 because he believes Mueller didn't do a good job is part of his pattern in practice. He doesn't believe the intelligence community. It is not a sign that he's trying to interfere in the 2020 election or dig up dirt on Joe Biden. Here's Rich Lowry from National Review on this point.
1: But this, this is different in kind. The U.S. government asks foreign countries to cooperate with our duly constituted investigations all the time. The Justice Department is looking into how the bogus 2016 story started. <laughs> I know everyone on the set maybe wants to move on from that and get on to Ukraine, but that's a legitimate interest, and there's nothing wrong with the President of the United States Asking a foreign government. And there's to nothing wrong with the attorney general saying, I want you to call the prime minister of Australia and I want you to press him on this. That's Nothing kosher. wrong at all. Just, okay. sir, if you could please uh, cooperate with my attorney general. There's
0: nothing. No, there's nothing wrong. Pressuring the Australian. He didn't pressure the Australian prime minister. He asked the Australian prime minister. But this gets back into the whole drip, 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 drip. The drip, 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 drip. That's all there is. Drip, 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 drip. And it's being blown up by Democrats who are clearly coordinating. And i got to tell you, Adam Schiff made it worse. Adam Schiff allowed some great distraction, deservedly so. When he had the Director of National Intelligence before his committee made up portions of the Trump transcript that weren't real, And of all people, George Stephanopoulos decided to ask him about it.
2: That was you you putting, I mean, making up dialogue, putting it in the president's mouth. If the facts are as damning as you say, why make up dialogue for dramatic effect, even if it's a parody, as you say?
1: Well, George, you're right. The call speaks for itself, and it is uh, plenty damning. But let's not uh, uh, pretend that this is really what the president is upset with me about. Uh, I can tell you exactly why the president is furious with me. And that is because when I learned that a whistleblower had filed a credible and urgent complaint that was being withheld from Congress, and no one in the country knew about this yet, I went public to demand that we get that complaint. I scheduled a hearing with the acting director to force the director to come in, as I said at the time, to explain to the American people why he was the first director to withhold a complaint from Congress. That had the effect of forcing the White House to produce that complaint, which I then made public that also had the effect of forcing them to release that call record. That's what the president is furious with me about.
0: No, listen, listen. I I certainly think the president is furious with Adam Schiff for a lot of things, but it was certainly stupid of Adam Schiff to do that. It really was. It's provided a great distraction, though, and, and proof of just the Democrats will say and do anything to get the president. But the president's not helping himself. And he's not helping himself having surrogates like Uh, Robert Jeffries from Texas going on TV and saying dumb things like this.
1: Look, I don't pretend to speak for all evangelicals, but this week I have been traveling the country and I've literally spoken to thousands and thousands of evangelical Christians. I have never seen them more angry over any issue than this attempt to illegitimately remove this president from office, uh, overturn the 2016 election, and negate the votes of millions of evangelicals in the process. And they know that the only impeachable offense President Trump has committed was beating Hillary Clinton in 2016. That's the unpardonable sin for which the Democrats will never forgive him. And I do want to make this prediction this morning. If the Democrats are successful in removing the president from office, I'm afraid it will cause a civil war-like fracture in this nation from which this
0: country will never heal. Uh, Yep. Good pastor. You know, there's data out today, uh, Discern has it, um, a new website created by the folks who came up with Babylon B and the Christian Daily Report, that evangelicals in this country are more likely to care about fiscal issues than they are socially conservative and Christian issues. They're more likely to care about taxes and Um, spending and inflation than to care about abortion, to care about uh, gay marriage, things like that, things that typically Orthodox Christianity would matter. And it's more. I'm more and more mindful of the fact that over time, pollsters have begun to use Catholic and Jew as ethnic identities, not religious identities. If you're a Catholic uh, voter, you tend to fit a particular uh, ethnic typing for demographers and for pollsters. Same now when people say they're Jewish, it, it has more to do with their... Ethnicity than it has to do with their religious beliefs. And I think evangelicals now in this category. Uh, Many of the people who describe themselves as evangelicals, they're not actually in church on Sunday, they're out fishing. It's a demographic category of people who are typically white and Southern. They are evangelicals. Um, And I think this data shows it. And I think people like Pastor Robert Jeffries are voices for these people who they're they're not actually they don't actually care about the things of the gospel so much as they care about things in politics politics has become their gospel uh he's more of a political minister than a minister of the gospel when you go to his church you're likely to get a political sermon uh not necessarily just a a sermon on um on faith and the gospel and i think that's somewhat problematic but not to be not surprising this Civil War rhetoric by the president, of course, echoing this on Twitter, I think that is more likely to get the president impeached than what the president said to the Ukrainian prime minister. I think you've got 19 Republicans now. Mac Thornberry from Texas is no longer going to run for Congress. you got 19 Republicans in the House, many of them leaving, and begrudgingly so, they, they think not. Now, he's an exception. He would easily win again. His district is like plus 18 or plus 30 Republican. It's highly Republican. So he's not leaving, and this is the Democratic narrative, is, oh, this is a sign of Trump. No, what it is is a recognition. The Republicans are not going to take the House back in 2020, and he doesn't want to be in the minority. The minority is no funny. you got no power, so he's leaving, going on to better things. But a lot of these guys blame the president for putting them in the minority. And the president needs to be mindful of that. There are a lot of his own Republicans who don't like him, and they will have no problem voting against him with articles of impeachment. And you've got four Republican senators who aren't coming back either. The president needs to be mindful of this stuff. Circulating the Civil War rhetoric is only going to build a bipartisan coalition against him. It is Eric Erickson here. Uh, we've only got a few minutes left. Um, hang on a second. I'm trying to... I'm, there's a method to my madness here. Um, bear with me. Uh, Where is this? Uh, Chuck Grassley. Senator Chuck Grassley has released a statement and he is defending the whistleblower and it's actually kind of a big deal. He has released a statement fairly definitively saying that the whistleblower is acting under protections and in so doing the whistleblower needs to be protected and he is deeply critical of the people who are excoriating the whistleblower and claiming some sort of conspiracy over the whistleblower. That, that's significant. It is significant because Grassley has been a pretty strong defender of the president as well. Uh, and for him to come out and say, you need to leave the whistleblower alone. The whistleblower followed procedure. Um, that, that means something. And it means something because Grassley is the former chairman of the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee, that would be a committee that took up articles of impeachment and Grassley coming out and saying the conservatives pushing this uh, conspiracy theory on the whistleblower and how the whistleblower filed and trying to expose the whistleblower, that that is wrong and the whistleblower needs to be protected and the whistleblower does not need to be exposed. Now, all of that said... All of that said, I still need to point out to you that it's coordinated, and it is. It's coordinated, and, and I don't think we should deny that it is coordinated. Um, the fact of the matter is that all of this stuff came out. It came out in an organized fashion. That doesn't mean it's wrong. That doesn't mean that it, there's no. There doesn't mean that there's no there there. What it means, however, is that we need to recognize the fact that there may be more coming and there's probably clear work and groundwork being laid with members of the media to allow that to come and we should be careful how we wade into this. Now here's Chuck Grassley's statement and if I sound a little distracted, I was looking for it. This person appears to have followed the whistleblower protection laws and ought to be heard out and protected. We should always work to respect whistleblowers' requests for confidentiality. Any further media reports on the whistleblower's identity don't serve the public interest. Even if the conflict sells more papers or attracts clicks, no one should be making judgments or pronouncements without hearing from the whistleblower first and carefully following up on the facts. Uninformed speculation wielded by politicians or media commentators as a partisan weapon is counterproductive and doesn't serve the country. When it comes to whether someone qualifies as a whistleblower, the distinction being drawn between first and secondhand knowledge aren't legal ones. It's just part, not part of the whistleblower protection law or any agency policy. So he's pushing back against conspiracy theorists and even the White House wanting to expose the whistleblower. Pretty big coming from a ranking Republican senator. If that's a big deal.